1: Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE.
0: This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped. Streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. You know, we'd hook up our next guest, Frank Servalli, but oh, he comes to Edmonton once a year, I think. Uh, courtesy of the Horses and Horse Racing Alberta, uh, go to thehorses.com for the full event schedule. We'll see you at the races we welcome back to the show one of the most plugged in men in the business how plugged in is he well he knew this morning around 9 a.m that uh, vander kane was going to be activated off of ltir we welcome back to the show daily face-offs frank cerevali how you doing frank
1: bob pretty good how are you not bad
0: you got one right today hey i'll take a w yeah occasionally it happens eh
1: yeah, I mean, look, a broken clock is right twice a day, so that's good. There you go. Uh, what is the, from
0: your perspective as a guy who's got a global view of the National Hockey League, what do you think the return of Vander Kane means of Kane means the Edmonton Letters?
1: It feels like, I, I'm not in Edmonton today, so I, and I don't know what it's like, but it's usually a pretty sunny city in the winter. It feels like the clouds are parting from what's been this season to this point, like, There's been a lot of ups and downs. There's been some better play of late. And now getting Kane back, I feel feel like, really gives this team a shot in the arm. That it was, in some ways, I think a lot of people, maybe even the team in and of itself, uh, was kind of like, hey, let's hang on until we can get Evander Kane back. That's what he's meant to this team. That's how consistent his scoring has been. I think he's the perfect stylistic fit for 97-29. and And now he adds in an element back to this team that I think is also sorely missed with the grit, the compete, uh, and the toughness that, you know, it's not all about dropping the gloves. Some of it's about the way you play. And I think his compete has been missed.
0: It's funny with the Oilers, Frank, and I know we've talked about this before. In 1920, Edmonton was 2017 and 4 at the 41-game mark. Uh, they recalled Yamamoto and Caleb Jones. They went 19 8 and 5, 650 winning percentage. Before we got shut down from the pandemic, that was the sixth best record in the league. In 2021, the All Canadian Division, 56 game sked, 17 and 11 to start. That's a 6-0-7. They were actually 14-11 at one point. Uh, Mike Smith got healthy. They went 18-8 and two in the second half, 6-78 winning percentage. And then last season, we're at 22-16 and three through 41 games, 5-75 winning percentage they went 695 third best record in the league 27 11 and 3 in the back half of uh, uh, the second half of the season last year third best record this year 21 17 and 3 and subsequent to that the orders have gone 3 and 1 including uh, closing out the three games on the road any idea why Edmonton, I mean, again, and I, you know, I mean, I'm I'm here every day and living it, but I, I'm wondering whether or not maybe sometimes you can be too close. You got a theory as to why the Oilers seem to be better in the second half of the seasons?
1: There's nothing really that I could put my finger on, and there's all sorts of wacky explanations you could probably come up with. I think part of it is, and you'd have to do a deep dive on, on what the numbers are, but McDavid has been, and Dry Settle have been unbelievable this season. I feel like statistically their games have ratcheted up to another level on an individual basis um, that I think has really helped lift the team as well. Part of it may be some of the additions that you're talking about. And I wonder now getting to this point, kind of feeling like with Kane back and the team playing a little bit better the last few days, still needs to figure out uh, how to win at home this year. But does this now change or at least make allow for a more patient approach to the deadline?
0: And that's where I want to go next because there's been a couple factors on that front. So here's the deal, Frank. The orders play five games before the All-Star break-slash-CBA-mandated bye week, Okay. Five more games. Tonight they play Seattle. Kraken played yesterday. Thursday, Edmonton plays Tampa. Uh, Tampa is in Vancouver on Wednesday. So second of a back-to-back for Seattle. Second of a back-to-back for Tampa. The Oilers fly to Vancouver Friday. The Canucks have Colorado home on Friday and get the Oilers on Saturday. So second of a back-to-back for the Canucks. The Oilers got to make some hay here. They got five games total. Next week they got Columbus and Chicago, both in a world of hurt. They got to make it count here, and if they do, does that buy a little bit more time for Oilers general manager Ken Holland? So there's not this tremendous urgency to go and as in, they must get a second pairing left. shot. does it change a bit if they can take care of business over the next five games?
1: I think it does. I think it's already changed a bit internally already in terms of the outlook. That while there's been varying points over the last six weeks where eyebrows have been raised or the temperature has been raised that Ken Holland has sort of to this point been able to resist the urge to, to make a a move. And, And I think right now, especially after the Yamamoto injury and movement to LTIR that they've essentially kicked the can down the road for the next you know, three weeks and change. Basically, it's bought the Oilers a half halfway to the other end of the deadline. And I'd be surprised if there's anything that materializes between now and then. Um they're in a spot where they just conducted their amateur scouting meetings, their pro scouting meetings are to come. That's usually when you set the agenda, the blueprint for what you'd like to accomplish at the deadline. And I think to be totally fair to everyone involved in the process, I think the Oilers are all over the map. I think, you know, at varying points, they're looking for a defenseman. I think they ask themselves then, what's the impact on someone like Broberg if you were able to Uh bring in a defenseman? What's the long-term impact? a complication of that. And, and this gives you some more time to see Broberg in action and to make decisions on things like that. And then I think even when it comes to looking up front, you know, at one point you're thinking, oh, this team could really use this element as a penalty killer or this element in toughness, or man, we could really use a pain in the arse center to play against who wins draws. And then you suddenly take a step back and you look at it and you say, "Well, oh, we're all of a sudden thin on the right side up front." So I don't think they. I think the truth right now, as it stands, they don't really know what they want, and that's not a knock or a shot at all, because this is a bit of a moving target this year. A few weeks, it's one thing; a couple weeks later, another hole pops up. And at some point you end up chasing your tail, trying to plug the different holes and you end up with a leak somewhere else. And so I think as it stands for everyone that's been clamoring for Ken Holland to do something, maybe right now the patient approach has been the best approach. And you've been saying all along that this team is going to be way better in the second half and still think that they're going to be in the 50 win range that, why wouldn't
0: you be patient if that's the case? Again, 47-52 uh, to 52 wins haven't wavered. I was unaware until Jack mentioned it the other night in the broadcast that Edmonton finished the regular season 15-0-1 at home. I've taken a look at the Oilers' advance schedule. They have a tough first two weeks in uh, March where they get the Leafs twice and Boston twice. Those are really good teams. Uh, but I'm, I'm telling you right now, they're... It's pretty obvious with Anaheim and San Jose where those teams are at, Arizona. You know, they got three more games against the Sharks, they got two more games against the Ducks. They're Even only gonna they're, get worse. Right? And they're only gonna get worse. And here's a just, just another thing to think about for everybody out there. Edmonton has five games left before the uh before they get the break. Okay? They don't play any back to backs, they're playing three teams coming off of back to backs. They could easily go eleven and seven in all five of those games. The organization, the one player in the minors that repeatedly over the last year and a half that they were really, bull- the guy they were most bullish on was Vincent Deharnay. They thought they had something with this player. And I compared him to Yanni Hockenpah. Frank, you know, the orders were in on Hockenpahs represented by Jerry Johansson. They were in on Hockenpah two years ago. They had that very guy. Some people have talked about Jacob Megna of the San Jose Sharks. Well, they might have a six foot six right shot version of that. And you mentioned Broberg. And you know what the plan was back in the summer. Was that Broberg was going to be on the team he had to play his way off the team. While well, he blocked a shot in game two of the rookie tournament, fractured a rib, didn't know. Tried to play through it. Wasn't skating. Couldn't figure out why he didn't. Why he was having some breathing issues. Went down on the minors. Then he slices his hand open with a steak knife and misses a couple weeks. And then he gets hurt in an off-ice training session about a month and a half ago. And he's like an unlucky guy. He's finally up and running, and he's the guy settling Bouchard down in the pairing out there. And so for the next five games, they have an opportunity to go 11 and seven, Frank, and that does change. Like, you know, like Ken Holland's plan was Broberg could be a D-man that could play 12 to 15 years. Because we still have people saying, nope, they must trade Broberg right now with the number one and go get Jacob Chukrin. Except you got a guy in on an entry-level deal at $925,000 for the next couple of years. Away you go. I'm with you. I think the whole situation has bought Edmonton time here.
1: I'd have to go back and look, but when's the last team that won the Stanley Cup that didn't have someone contributing in a somewhat significant way on an entry-level contract? You need guys like that. Um, And I think here's here's the other part is what are the long-term ramifications? That's what I was trying to say. If you were to bring in someone that essentially boxes out Broberg, someone that may have been you know injuries aside struggling with confidence at times what does that mean for the long term what message are you sending and then the same applies up front to whoever you might bring in that could you know send or put dylan holloway in a different spot Yeah, like these are all parts of the calculation that i think you have to consider and i think the Oilers are making that consideration right now. So for anyone that's pounding their fist on the table saying, we need this and we need it now, it's kind of the old Lou Lamorello, if you have time, use it.
0: Yeah, it's interesting, right? Because Lou pretty much stuck with with the exception of changing out Barry Trotz. You know, they went Final Four back-to-back years with an older team, a lot of 30-year-old players. They changed out the coach, and he brought back the whole same team again. And and here it's like, wow, we got to move this. It's it just, it's really... I have a thing about drafted and developed prospects in the organization, Frank. Like, they're important guys. You know, I tweeted this summer, the order said, the only team in the league with their last 10 number ones still currently in the organization. And the response from some people was, well, that's because they've been too reluctant to trade guys. And it's just, it, it is... Now, I'm not now there is another factor to, to put in here Frank and that's the 2023 NHL draft. There are people that believe this upcoming draft is 60 players deep. That's first and second rounders deep. You know, I think Edmonton could use some juice up front. I don't know about defense. I might want to see that like if they play 7D, if any let me ask you this. If any team Frank can play 11 and 7 is Edmonton the team that can play eleven and seven when McDavid and Leon play twenty-two minutes, and Hyman, Nugent Hopkins, and Kane all play twenty?
1: I mean, there's other teams that can, and Tampa was one that I think they won the Stanley Cup that night playing eleven and seven. Like they've really consistently played eleven and seven, and it's worked out really well for them in large part because of what you were saying. They can lean on their top dogs to give them just a shade more that also tilts the ice when those guys are on it, that I've been saying this forever, you know, the biggest detriment to the Oilers is that for the most part, Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl are on the bench for 36 minutes a game.
0: Yeah, it's going to be interesting. And there's not it. It's quiet, isn't there, out there right now on the trade front?
1: Because exactly what I was just saying about the pro and amateur scouting meetings. Everyone they're talking and keeping tabs on on what prices may be and beginning to have those introductory. Hey, I really kind of like this guy. And there's a whole dance that goes along with the the deadline that you actually need March third to come along and produce. Transactions, but everyone wants to get their ducks in a row and, and rely on the people who are eyes in the buildings seeing these players play on a nightly basis before they just go out and make a deal based on some advice. They want to get a full sense of the market. And to be fair, the, the market's changing. Like, look at two weeks ago, we were talking about the Nashville Predators and Matthias Eckholm you know, potentially being available as that team sort of looked like it was left for dead. I'm not saying they're going to be a playoff team, but they go on a bit of a run, and all of a sudden, does that change the thinking of David Poyle, their GM? That the market continues to evolve, it's a living, breathing thing.
0: Yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting one, to say the least. Frank Cervalli for the Horses and Horse Racing Alberta. Go to horses.com for the full event schedule. We'll see you at the races. Frank, is there another factor? Is the draft another factor? Is this a year where maybe several managers aren't necessarily willing to part with the number one because of the perceived depth of the draft? What do you think? I don't
1: think so, and I say that only because there have already been three draft picks in this 2023 first round that have already moved. One was for Brent Ben Chirac last year, one was for Brandon Hagel, and the other one was for Nils Lundqvist back in September that went from uh, Dallas to the Rangers. So the Rangers are sitting here. Uh, interestingly enough, I reported today on my Daily Faceoff live show that. The Rangers, in addition to having eyes for Patrick Kane, have really set their sights on Timo Meyer as a potential acquisition for their right side. And they have capital. They've got cap space as a team that's played a lot more like a contender in the last few weeks. Yep, They've got an extra first-round pick. And they've got a ton of prospects and so after being super aggressive last year trading a first a second a third and i believe two fourths chris drury i would fully expect to be in the game so there's a number of teams that i'd say first round pick is almost assuredly on the table boston carolina uh toronto winnipeg uh the second pick from the rangers and then I think it gets really interesting when you get to some of these other teams. Like, I'd include Edmonton in that category so I.
0: for so, sure. So would I. Yep. So would but I. But then
1: what about Colorado? What about Pittsburgh? What about Washington? Like, And then you can even begin to start to include some other teams like Seattle, which is, I believe, still leading the division by points percentage, that they can uh, – they can afford to really go about a different path than many were expecting for them at this deadline.
0: All right, I'm going to go Canadian on you here for two quick looks at two teams. Vancouver yesterday, Jim Rutherford spoke. What did? What term did he use again?
1: Which one? Major surgery. Major equal, surgery on the team. Uh, a million of them.
0: Is that fate a complete? Bo Horvat's out of Vancouver.
1: I believe so. I believe his camp has thought that for a long time. I think Bo himself has thought that. Other players on the team believe it, and I thought it was really telling that Jim Motherford said, "We've we've taken our best shot." That's what he believes. Will they circle back and take one more? I doubt it, and for the reason of what he explained, and I actually can't really blame him. Listening to his thought process, which was. We put an offer on the table that we believe is fair for Bo Horvat up to and before this season. He's had a magical year on track for around 60 goals, 40 even strength goals. Um, it's been un- an unbelievable contract year to hit an upper deck Grand Slam home run for Bo Horvat. But his historical track record is that he's a 25 to 30 goal scorer and a 55 to 60 point player. How much of a premium should teams be forced to pay based on one year that may or may not be repeatable. And so that's the question teams are asking themselves. I think the center market of real impact centers is so thin that they're willing to pay a premium to get their hands on them, especially with the cap going up. But I believe the offer that's on the table from the Canucks to Bo Horvat starts with a seven. I think his camp believes he's in wow. the eights all wow. day long. Wow. And I think there's one team at least out there that may be willing to pay a number that starts with a nine.
0: Who's that team? I can't say. Eastern Conference well, what, what or Western Eastern yeah. Conference or Western Conference team. East. All right. Uh, Luke Shen, subtle acquisition for a team like Tampa.
1: Uh, Potentially, but I wouldn't discount some others. Uh, I would say the Boston Bruins could be a pretty decent fit. Um, And I I think, to be honest, as much as everyone assumes that he's going to be gone, I think the Canucks are sitting there asking themselves, we need some guys that can play, and we need some guys that we trust. And so uh, I could see him being a fit in New York to maybe settle down Braden Schneider and play on a consistent pair with him. Um, there's there's a whole bunch of options for Luke Shen. All right,
0: well they do have on the right. I mean they picked up Ethan Bear on the right side. They have Tyler Myers as well,
1: uh, who's a right shot. Um, so that you know def- what was interesting about um, Jim Rutherford's it. press conference that you said you mentioned Tyler Myers. He seemed to mention or hint at the idea of buyouts coming this summer. That I was thinking maybe if a few of these guys are going to be stubborn. About their no trade clauses and lists, that that may be ultimately where they're heading is a one third pay cut this summer in terms of a
0: buyout. All right, uh, Montreal Canadiens. Quickly in a minute or two, like what can they get from Monahan?
1: Um, my guess is because he's still on a pretty decent size contract. Um, at 6.375, that would then likely need to be run through a third party broker. And the injury history that he's probably in the neighborhood of a third round pick, second round pick, maybe. But you're adding in, again, these other assets that would have to be, you know, maybe like a second and a fourth or something, or a third and a fourth in order to run that money through someone else. So um, it does begin to get a little bit more expensive. And I I don't know what the full extent of his injuries are, but I'd be real concerned with what he went through last
0: year. And that's the same concern I have with Edmondson with the back. You know what I mean? Like, I get it. Two years ago in the playoffs, he was great. That was two years ago. Health has been an issue. He's got a year left in his term. Uh, There's Canadians fans. We're getting a first-round pick. You know, we got a first-round pick for Sherratt last year. The back issues. Got to be a concern there.
1: So let's play this out quickly in 10 seconds from a pure standpoint with cap only. If you were to bring in Edmondson – and this is going to tie our conversation up full circle. Your your top four next year, depending on you know whatever you end up doing with whoever else. But you've got Nurse, you've got Kulak. You know who else are you putting in the top four? Is is Bouchard in there? Well,
0: Edmondson would be if you got Edmondson. He would be second pairing, and Kulak would be third because Edmondson played ahead of Kulak in Montreal, and you've boxed Broberg out on the left side
1: again. That. But that was exactly where I was heading. Is If you bring in Edmonton with one more year, you might as well trade Broberg somewhere and get real value for him because he ain't playing for a little while.
0: There you go.
1: Frank, great stuff. Love having you
0: on the show. Thanks, Bob. Take care. You bet. For the horses and horse racing, in Alberta. That's Frank Servoli from Daily Face Off. It is 12:57 in Edmonton. Off to a Global News weather traffic update with Eileen Bell. Lots to get to. Uh, we'll have an interview, Reed Wilkins, with Cleem Costin. I'll have a convo with Philip Broberg. We'll get to some of your texts. J.T. Brown uh, from the Seattle television broadcast in the second hour of the show as well. You're listening to Oilers now.